Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Value Inspiration podcast. My name is Ton Dobber, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I'm creating a tribe of tech entrepreneurs that are on a mission to do something big and meaningful. I invite you to join the tribe as well, especially if you want to create change that matters and put your software business on momentum that you're proud of. The goal that I have at this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest on my podcast today is Terry Swag, CEO of Sustainable Minds. There is the opportunity for economies and businesses to grow, and there's a different way to do it. Because if growth is still driven by consumption, the way most economies, and especially third world, first world economies function, it's all about consumption and more, but innovation through improving environmental performance and also now material health is going to mean less consumption due to developing product service systems, using fewer raw materials, circular economy, all of the things that people really haven't waded into in a mainstream way yet will become the way. For people on the planet today to live the way people live in a first world economy, we've outstripped the carrying capacity of the planet by five times. Five times. Five planets to carry the consumption rate of today's population and the rate at which it's growing, which is, you know, you know, unsustainable is, is a lame kind of word to even describe that premise. But that's not a concept that's popular or understandable even. This is Terry. She's an internet and environmental entrepreneur, a pioneer in customer experience strategy, and a thought leader in the product sustainable software industry. Her career has focused on making complex ideas and technology useful, usable, and desirable. She started the first company, TS Design, in 1994. It was an internet strategy and product design firm that led the industry in user experience design. It was acquired by Razorfish in 1999. In 2002, she became the VP of Customer Experience and a founding member of Still Secure, a network security software startup where she brought three best-in-class products to market in just 18 months. In 2005, she founded The Beam, a venture-backed Web 2.0 marketplace to power the emerging demand for cleaner and greener products and services. Finally, in 2007, she founded Sustainable Minds, a company that's on a mission to operationalize environmental performance into mainstream product development and manufacturing in an accessible, empowering, incredible way. 
Sustainable Minds products are used in 90 plus countries and became the first cloud tool for product manufacturers to design greener products. And this resonated with me, and hence I invited Terry to my podcast. We explore the massive challenge that we have at hand to make the world we live in more sustainable. We discuss how technology can help accelerate solving this problem and what is needed to leverage the impact of technology to its maximum. How, for example, can we create growth by consuming less? And what mindset should we obtain to create solutions that people will embrace and talk about? By listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, that to create meaningful change, you have to help people think differently before they can start to act differently. Secondly, how to start and accelerate company growth when the main thing you're solving isn't even cool yet. Thirdly, why companies that measure and not think differently will only deliver incremental impact. And fourthly, that remarkable software is created when you focus on creating something that very specific people can use instead of something that everybody can use. So hi Terry, thank you for making the time to be on my podcast today. Hi Tom, thanks for inviting me. It's a pleasure from my end and I found your company while I was doing my research on the podcast that I wanted to do next and inviting, of course, inspiring CEOs that, uh, that are making an impact in the, in the industry. And what I found in your company is, well, that triggered me and that's why I invited you. Before we start talking about your company, Sustainable Minds, I wanted to have a little bit of, of insight about you, like one little nugget. How would you describe yourself? Uh, what are the characteristics that, that would be representative for you? Uh, what would be the two or three words? I need to understand. That's a good one. That was three words. Yeah, that's right. And that's, I think, I need to understand. I wrote my book, The Remarkable Effect, and chapter four is all about that. It's what I call the art of the ma- well, mastering curiosity. And I think if you've got a mindset of, I need to understand, that brings you far. So it's, and it gives you all kinds of new ways to explore new things. So that's, uh, that's, that's a good one. Now go, yeah, kind of talking about your, uh, your company, Sustainable Minds. To start off with that, what is the big idea behind your company? What, what sparked it? That's two questions. The big idea behind the company is to deliver knowledge and tools to product manufacturers, product designers, product organizations to help them operationalize environmental performance into mainstream product development and manufacturing to drive innovation and growth through greener product innovation. So that's our mission. It's never changed. And when I started the company in 2007, it was because I was actually working on another company I started, which was called The Beam. I started that company in 2005. And the mission for that company, which was an internet business, was to create demand and deliver demand deliver on that demand for the latest, greenest, coolest products and services. But as it turned out in 2005, 2006, 2007, there weren't very many, and I'm using air quotes now, you know, green products in the marketplace. And, you know, well, why was that? Because the word green doesn't mean anything. It's just a word. And what it really is referring to is environmental performance And even manufacturers who at the time might have been interested in making greener products had no idea what to do. 
or how to do it. And yep. So I started Sustainable Minds with this idea that we could have a big impact if we could actually deliver knowledge and tools that could be used across the product team, not just by a single person, to help people think differently and then act differently. And that's why we named the company Sustainable Minds. People used to think it was a consulting company, but the reason we named it Sustainable Minds is precisely because you have to teach people to think differently before you can get them to act differently. And so every, every tool and every service we've developed integrates knowledge and learning right into the tool uh, so that people can learn while they do. Interesting. Think differently and act differently. I mean, that's a, it's, a, it's a topic that actually comes by quite a bit on my podcast, the whole notion of changing behavior. Right. Because Which it's not that people don't do. want. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But there's these habits that need to change. Right. Wow. So what is the opportunity if we get this right? What if the world starts to adopt your technology and starts delivering greener products? What is the question? What if this happens? Yeah. Well, what is the opportunity if everybody starts to do this? The opportunity for sustainable minds or the opportunity in the world? Well, in the world, yeah, the market, the company. Well, the opportunity for sustainable minds is to achieve our mission, right? Is to show that there is the opportunity for economies and businesses to grow. And there's a different way to do it. Because if growth is still driven by consumption, the way most economies and especially third world, uh, first, first world economies function. It's all about consumption and more, but innovation through improving environmental performance and also now material health is going to mean less consumption due to developing product service systems, using fewer raw materials, circular economy, all of the things that people really haven't waded into in a mainstream way yet will become the way. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and I mean, all of those, I mean, it's about kind of getting everybody to adopt this. That's the way I see it. Because then it, it, all these little bits and pieces help. Yeah, the thing and, that, uh, you know, one of the things I learned in 2006 that also contributed to starting Sustainable Minds was the concept of carrying capacity that the earth has a limited carrying capacity in terms of natural resources globally. And, you know, as more developing nations continue to develop and develop first world economies, consumption has exploded. And for people on the planet today to live the way people live in a first world economy we've outstripped the carrying capacity of the planet by five times. Five times. Five planets to carry the consumption rate of today's population and the rate at which it's growing, which is, you know, you know, unsustainable is, is a lame kind of word to even describe that premise. But that's not a concept that's popular or understandable even. No, true. Well, yeah, you have to kind of translate it into like, what does it mean to me? Exactly. And, uh, I think right. that, that's, that story isn't coming through. So yeah, that's fascinating. I wasn't aware of that. And I mean, for example, if you take this back 20, 30 years ago, what was the situation then? Was, was there still an issue with the carrying capacity or is this really from the last years? 
No, you know, I would actually trace it back to a point in time in the 50s where a certain group of, of industrial designers here in the U.S. created this idea of planned obsolescence, that that was going to be you know, an innovation and growth driver for manufacturers to make products with a limited lifespan. So yeah. planned obsolescence. And now think about every Apple product, every technology product. You know, before this idea existed, people would buy cars, appliances, products. They lasted a long time. They were built to last and you could repair them. And they were designed to be repaired. And there was a whole ecosystem of people and businesses that serviced and repaired products. Yeah. But, you know, as planned obsolescence became, you know, the way to make products and then you know, it, was, it was extremely successful and it, and it did what it was intended to do in the 50s, which was to, you know, really drive the economy. But then it simply became the way things were done. And, yeah, true. you know, parts got changed from metal to plastic. And in fact, very few product manufacturers would ever even disclose the planned lifetime of a particular product. You don't really want people to know, oh, it's only going to last for three years yeah. or two years. Yeah. But that becomes super and super important when you start doing life cycle assessment. And life cycle assessment is the scientific technical method of evaluating the life cycle impacts of products or systems from raw material acquisition through end of life and everything in between. You have to look at the impacts per functional unit. So that's the unit of service that that product is delivering over its lifetime. So if a product has a very short lifetime, the impacts per unit of service delivered will be very high. But if it has a long lifetime, it dramatically reduces the impacts per amount of service delivered, therefore less consumption is going on. Yeah, exactly. I recently had a CEO on a podcast who is – in the automobile industry. And uh, I mean, the whole story behind that one was that he, ha- he never hopes to sell one car. But the whole th- story behind that one is that he's actually producing these cars and he's putting them on his balance sheet so that all the incentives in order to create a car that is has a very long life cycle can be repaired. All of these, these incentives are, are just baked into the whole business model. And he's just selling those cars or renting those cars on a, on a per mile basis. Uh-huh. And I think that's that type of thinking needs to come back. Yeah, so exactly. That's a product service system. So yeah. product service systems share resource and add value with additional services that incentivize people. It's a, you know, it's, it's a much better option. Exactly. Exactly. But we don't, we don't realize that. And then we just move on. And then we get all these problems. So from a technology perspective and also from a, um, let's, let's take the technology part first, later on the go-to-market part. What did you do with your solution? What did you do different in order to create or to make that change happen? I mean, in order to change that behavior. So what did you do specifically to, to make it yeah, deliver that remarkable impact? Well, what we did differently, and again, when I started the company, green wasn't even cool yet. Uh-huh. Um, most people didn't care. Green still meant like hemp t-shirts and Birkenstocks and organic food wasn't even cool yet. So 
you know, the mission to operationalize environmental performance into mainstream product development and manufacturing and to deliver knowledge and tools that could be used across the entire product team because the realization was that lots of people in a company make decisions about products. You've got product managers, you've got designers, engineers, the supply chain people, manufacturing. It isn't just one person having an idea and they push the button. And so as they're developing criteria, now environmental performance is a criteria used in product development and in product selection and purchasing, people always make trade-offs. So what are, you know, what are the trade-offs going to be if there's more emphasis on environmental performance yeah. and less emphasis on something else? And so what we did differently was to build a tool that dramatically simplified lifecycle assessment and married it with lifecycle thinking, also known as eco-design, that yeah. could teach people to apply strategies. So we provided a strategy framework of high-level strategies that could be explored to reduce the impacts in any lifecycle stage, and then to show how multiple strategies applied in multiple lifecycle stages would really drive real innovation that couldn't have been conceived of any other way because it's only through the application of these strategies and teaching people to think differently that are going to drive new solutions. And so what we say is you first have to think differently and then you have to measure, but you have to do both because when you only measure, so when you only do, you only measure the life cycle impacts without thinking differently, you're only going to get incremental change. Let me make a small interruption here. Terry just explained the secret behind the success of her company. By creating solutions that not only help her customers measure results, but also think differently, she enables her customers to create solutions that deliver exponential impact rather than just incremental impact. Creating new value possibilities, and in particular those with exponential impact, is a key trait remarkable software companies master. It's something that you can master as well. To get started, I would recommend you to read or listen to my book, The Remarkable Effect. This book will not only inspire you about this trait, but also show you how it fits in a full framework of 10 traits that define the software businesses that we keep talking about. If you want to not only learn, but also do, then I would recommend you to join our tribe. Here you can level up with other software change makers and with that accelerate growth. For more information, go to valueinspiration.com. Back to the interview. Yeah, true. Material that might be more or less impactful, but that's only incremental change. Yeah. And if you only think differently without measuring, this is true all the time. People think, oh, if I change this material or change this resource or or design for disassembly, it's going to dramatically reduce the impacts. I'm sure of it. And then when they go model it, measure it, no, it may not have any impact at all in terms of reducing, for example the carbon footprint. And particularly if that's a stated objective, we want to reduce the carbon footprint of this product. Well, they don't know from the beginning what in the current life cycle of the product or other products like it is contributing the greatest impacts to global warming, then they don't know what to change. Yeah. So you have to think differently and measure. You can't do just one or the other. That was the innovation was to simplify life cycle assessment, combine it with this way of thinking and creating a design tool that in real time would let product teams 
model and get real-time results to be able to make yeah. better informed decisions. One of the books that I've recently read, what you've been explaining sort of reminded me of that. The book is called A Beautiful Constraint. And it really mm-hmm. blends two things. Like, first of all, a bold aspiration, but then also connects it to yeah, a constraint that you, that you might want to kind of explore together. So it's, mm-hmm. it's those two together that where you have to start thinking outside of the box. Is that also what you've more or less done inside the product to start combining a couple of objectives that are maybe even the opposites of each other? Well, you know, I, I actually love the word constraints. I don't know if you know this, but by education, I'm a graphic designer. And, I don't know. I don't know. and the way that I, I had a graphic design firm, I started my first company, I was pretty young, and then the internet came along and a friend of mine said, hey, Terry, I want, I want you to help me put some information here. And I said, great, just tell me what all the constraints are and we'll be able to put some content on the internet. And at the time, this was 1993, you know, it was so constrained, there was really not much that could be done on the World Wide Web at that time. In fact, image maps didn't even exist. So if you knew how to structure information to break it down into kind of bite-sized pieces and create hierarchies, that was the best you could do. And so that's what we started doing. So I'm all about constraints because it limits in a productive way, the space in which the solution can live. Exactly. But I wouldn't use that word in terms of our software because I would turn it around and say, we've presented a framework of opportunity and provided a structured way for people to approach the design process in a way that essentially guarantees results. And we actually just had a design challenge last month through the Industrial Designer Society of America in partnership with a platform called GrabCAD, which has created a, a community of several hundred thousand engineers and, and designers who businesses can go to this community, this platform to post design and engineering projects and you know, the community can respond. So we created this challenge in partnership with the Industrial Designer Society of America to, we created this project to rethink the future of the toaster. And we were a very structured project. They could take an existing company or they could imagine a new company that was looking to transform the toaster industry and making environmental performance a key, key part of the story. And we gave them a very specific process to follow. We gave them a PowerPoint template to present their results and we gave them a very specific design brief of what they needed to accomplish. And to our surprise, and we gave them the software for free, which was a key to the process, we had over 150 people participate who engaged in the project, signed up for free trial accounts. And we had close to 60 final submissions, and it was a lot wow. of work, a lot of work. Exactly. And we were blown away by the quality and the creativity of the submissions. In fact, we had to create a new category of winners, of special honors, because there were just too many great ideas told in a really fabulous way. And people you know, thought of you know, new brands, new companies, really drilled down on the users, developed insights from 
these users and use cases, which drove the design of, of the new product. And part of the criteria was that they had to model the benchmark that we gave them. So that we gave them a benchmark toaster. That had to be modeled accurately. And they had to achieve a certain performance improvement. Their final recommended concept had to have at least a 15% performance improvement over the benchmark. 15% isn't a lot. It's not hard to, hard to achieve. True. But the last 10 finalists, we actually did log into their accounts and check their modeling to make sure it was accurate. And it was really, really impressive how just one month, people, and a lot of young people, a lot of people, it was a global challenge, many, many entrants from India. In fact, several of the winners were teams out of India, just giving people a process and some tools and a new way of looking at the problem dramatically changed the results that they could create. So we're actually going to do a webinar, the three winners early next month. We're putting it together now and have have them come on and actually talk about their process, what they learned, what, anyway. That's really good. And I still see a little bit of that beautiful constraint in there because you had a number of like, things that people needed to, needed, well, benchmarks to meet or to exceed at the end. It shows again what happens if you step back from things and start, yeah, start working on things in a, in a new way with a different mindset. Right. So really things happen. Because I mean, in my book, I also write about like the companies, that's typical software companies, they start, great idea, bring innovation to the marketplace. And then... At some point, you know, success is there and sort of the metrics change and that makes them complacent. And that's, of course, yeah, that's where things become incremental and actually will go the other way around. I mean, you don't end up with, yeah, you lose your curiosity and with that you lose your competitiveness or your differentiation in the marketplace. And that's something to always, yeah, keep front and center. And that, that, I think that's where technology can really help. I recently had the CEO on my podcast of a company called NeuroCreate, who is actually providing yeah, the tools to help everybody become creative, even people that are not creative, just by using technology in the right way to spur that, yeah, those new ideas from, well, with them and from them. So I think there's a big market for that. So talking about going back a little bit to earlier in the interview, you talked about when you started the company, green wasn't even hot. It wasn't the thing. And I still, I still think that companies need a little bit more of convincing. I know on your website, I've seen that another aspect of, of your company is education. So my question at the end is, how do you create growth for this? How do you spur that growth? How do you convince people that this is the right way to go? Well, we started a webcast series back in 2010 or 2011. I don't remember, maybe 2012. Mm-hmm called Creating Knowledge Workers for the Greener Product Marketplace. And because the software was designed for business people, design people, and every kind of engineering, mechanical, civil, environmental, because that's the combination of skills that create products in the marketplace, you have to start integrating that into curriculum across all those same disciplines in education. And so we essentially spoke to schools the same way you'd speak to any other kind of company a school's a business so the webcast series is creating knowledge workers for the greener product marketplace premises you know it's all about jobs in the economy so schools will attract students yeah they can educate to meet industry demand 
and manufacturers will recruit students who can execute. Yes, so okay. that's it's, correct. It's more common that established businesses will try to recruit new employees with the new knowledge and skills that they need rather than retrain or re-educate existing staff. Yep. And so it's a win for everybody because, you know, when people graduate from college, they expect to be able to get a job. They expect to have skills <laughs> that are valuable in the marketplace and get hired for yeah, them. But I mean, I don't see a lot of companies that actually take that opportunity or take the opportunity in the first place, but take that responsibility, I would almost say, to actually start educating the market in order to achieve this. Because doing this sort of at the end also helps your own business to grow because without those people, that growth is flat. So you need to kind of change, make the change yourself, create the wave yourself. Right, right. Yeah. The reason why I was asking at the end, it's fundamental element of the book that I wrote, The Remarkable Effect. And it's, yeah, it's how do you create that groundswell? And for you, that, that, that happened to be a way because, I mean, you said, I saw that, that, that webcast on your website and it's a category in itself and it's, it's already been available for 10 years. So have you also taken it further to create, for example, a community of those people together so that they can meet like-minded people? You know, we have not done that and that actually had been part of the plan. Yeah. But what happened was in 2012, you know, and we had created Sustainable Minds eco-concept and LCA software is not industry specific. It's a general tool that can be used in designing any kind of product other than food products. So across any industry that makes physical products that aren't comestibles. But here in the U.S., unlike in Europe, there still wasn't any regulation that was driving the way manufacturers could change or would change. At least, you know, Europe introduced Rojas, we, other producer responsibility kinds of legislation, but that didn't happen here. And so as an entrepreneur, ultimately, you do have to focus. And so the only industry that we saw that was actually rewarding green was building and construction. And yeah. that the U.S. Green Building Council had done a great job of developing the lead rating system to be an aspirational brand. Owners and architecture firms were really, really inspired to get that LEED certification and do the extra work and pay the extra money for all of the benefits that come with being able to then say, hey, this is a LEED gold building or a LEED silver building or a LEED platinum building. Exactly. And so we said, all right, well, we're going to focus on the building construction industry because there's already momentum in that industry. True, yeah. And so that's when we started looking at the lead version four was in draft in 2012. And what was different about that version is lead stands for leadership in energy efficiency and design. And so over the little bit less than a decade that lead had existed, people really moved up that energy efficiency and design learning curve. Yeah. Lead version four said, okay, look, a building is just a compilation of products. That's all it is, right? You've yeah, got true. steel, concrete, carpeting, ceilings, floors, you know, hundreds and hundreds of types of products that will go into a building. And they said previously in lead version three, they had what's called single attribute credits related to materials like percent recycled content or distance from 
the job site to the manufacturer, but they were looking at those credits rewarded single attributes about a product. And if a building is a compilation of products and in the end people want to be able to measure the environmental performance and material health of a building, then things would need to be measured the same way. So things could get added up and compared, right? So lead version four introduced as its corner cornerstone concept, this idea of product transparency and introduced a whole new set of credits rewarding manufacturers who were producing environmental product declarations, which is actually an ISO 14025 type three environmental declaration, according to now not just a whole range of ISO standards, but also now a lot of new ISO standards and European regulations like the N15804 that really have codified how building product manufacturers need to be doing life cycle assessment and then reporting those results into the marketplace. The other set of credits were for building product manufacturers to report the material ingredients used in the product screened against risk and hazard data sets to be able to disclose those results as well. And so when we looked at that, we said, geez, we've already been in the business of making life cycle assessment simpler, more understandable, and more useful for people who need to use the data to make decisions. Let's get into making LCA more understandable and useful in the building construction space. And so we did a big research project on what is an EPD? What is an environmental product declaration? What's the content in it? Remember, I told you I was a graphic designer many years ago. And so an EPD to me was just another brochure. So, well, what's in it? What makes it so special? And ISO 14025 provides a list of content types that need to be in this document to be considered and then ultimately third-party verified as environmental product declaration. And it turned out that we looked at over 40 EPDs from all around the world, from different program operators. And because it's technical people, life cycle assessment people, doing the LCAs and then creating the EPDs and the third-party verifiers are also technical people, eight of the 10 types of content stipulated in ISO 14025 is technical content. The optional content is anything about concerning what the manufacturer has been doing to improve, any programs they've developed internally, any other certifications or ratings they've achieved for the products, essentially anything that somebody might consider, and I'm using air quotes again, marketing, because it's actually the storytelling about the product or or the company, which would still have to be verified, but because it's technical people who love their data creating EPDs, these documents were 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, sometimes 100 pages long. And so... It just, again, and this kind of high need to understand, I couldn't understand how the U.S. Green Building System was going to expect architects, builders, and contractors to use a 50-page document full of technical tabular data to make a decision about what roof insulation should they use. Yeah, correct. And so that's how we set about becoming an EPD program operator and created the first innovation in environmental product declaration, creation, and delivery, 
which we call the transparency report. It is, it is a type three environmental declaration, but it integrates product transparency with product marketing and creates a single document in the cloud that provides all the information somebody's going to need to make a purchase decision about a product. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, that helps. <laughs> that helps. We're at the top of the hour here, and I got one or two more, more final questions. It's been a, quite a journey in terms of what we've been discussing, and you've been in the business since you started your company. I think it was, you talked about 2005 or six earlier on. So I wrote a book, it's called The Remarkable Effect, and it's about what, what makes people talk about some companies and why we don't talk about other companies. What do you believe is required to create a software company that people talk about? You know, I guess it depends on which people do you want to have talking about the company. Yeah, your customers. Mm -hmm. I think when a company delivers products to customers that makes them super happy when they use it because it's been designed to expressly meet the needs that they've expressed, but also delivers solutions to problems they never could have articulated themselves. It's really based on deep insights into the problem space and the challenges of the key users that the product is designed for, which takes a very disciplined methodology for product development to drive it based on key persona and not trying to build something that everybody can use, but that exactly. key, very specific people are, uh, can use and use it in a, very, in a very specific way to solve meaningful problems. And when you can make that really easy and the price is right, then people start talking about your products. Very good. And I mean, I can imagine that people in your, well, that are using your products in the design industry and are exactly all about that because it is so specific to what their day-to-day problems are all about. So yeah, I mean, since we are closing time, where can people go to find out more about your company, uh, Sustainable Minds, and connect with you? Right. So sustainableminds.com is a great place to start. And if you're interested in the building construction industry, transparencycatalog.com is the place okay. to go. We're actually going to be pushing a new release next week, which is going to be pretty cool. And uh, we're excited about that. And where can people best connect with you? Yeah, I'm Terry at sustainableminds.com. That's as simple as well. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Terry, for this interview and your insights in terms of the journey of your company and yeah, the mission that you're on in, in terms of creating a greener planet, greener products in the marketplace. Fascinating. And yeah, I think valuable lessons to learn here. Thank you. I'm honored to... I've been selected to participate. Okay. Well, thank you very much. And this ends my conversation with Terry. I hope you got inspiration from it. And if so, please leave a review or rating on iTunes. And don't forget to share it with other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thank you for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Terry Swack, founder and CEO of Sustainable Minds. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. 
Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book, or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.